0: Well, this morning I want to speak with you uh, again on the tongue. Last week we looked at James chapter three, verses one through twelve, probably the greatest passage uh, in all of God's Word relating to the tongue, and we talked about how uh, we need to learn to tame our tongues. and And uh, James told us in James chapter three that uh, the tongue is very powerful and it needs to be tamed, but it's untamable. And really, that's what we walked away with last week is, hey, the tongue is very powerful. What we say has a huge impact and influence, not only on our lives, but on the lives of those around us. And so you better be careful what you say. Tame your tongue. Oh, but by the way, um, you can't do it. And so I thought, well, we need to follow that up with, okay, so how do we practically tame our tongues? And the Word of God has much to say on this subject, and so I'd like to do a little Bible study with you this morning, uh, and, and just look at, uh, from you know, the Old Testament to the New Testament, some, some biblical principles on taming our tongues. Now, if you are like me, you find that your mouth is constantly getting you into trouble, or is that just me? It's just me? Okay, great, thanks. Well, let's close in prayer then, and I'll go home and work on it. Um, When I was a little boy, uh, I got into a very bad habit of repeating words that I heard other kids say at school, and I wasn't homeschooled, so it wasn't what my sister said, Um, it wasn't a Christian private school, it was a public school, and so I heard lots of different words that I thought sounded cool, even though I didn't know what they meant, and so I'd come home, and I'd try out my new words on my sister or my dog, or, uh, and it always seemed like I always tried out my new words at the worst possible times. And so I remember very distinctly one, uh, either a birthday or Christmas, I don't remember what it was, uh, at our cousin's house, and I was, we were all in the living room, all, all the family, all the aunts and uncles and cousins, and, and uh, there the were opening presents, and, and, and a situation happened, And I thought, oh, this might be a good time to use one of my new words. And so I blurted out this word and thinking it was going to be funny. And it was like the whole room stopped and went silent and went and looked right at me. And I was like, I remember I was sitting on the staircase uh, going upstairs and it was like the spotlight was on me. And uh, I think I caught a glimpse of my mom and dad and they just kind of went like this. <laughs> Their heads sunk down. And, and so thankfully someone kind of moved the conversation on because it was a very awkward moment. And uh, when we got home, I'll never forget my mom sitting me down on the couch and saying, um, do you re- realize what you said? Do you know what that word means? And I was like, no, I just heard it at school. And when she explained it, me, uh, I was as mortified as my mom and dad were (laughs) when I said it at the party. And uh, so my parents had a way of helping me learn not to say bad words like that. And uh, as I mentioned last week, and um, my mom would not just wash my mouth out with soap, but she would use the palm olive bottle. And uh, that was a helpful way. I guess I need a little extra something, something there. So anyway, needless to say, I learned to be careful about what came out of my mouth. Now, you know what goes around uh, comes around, right? And my mom always uh, laughs uh, when she hears stories about our kids because she just shakes her head and says, "There's justice. There's a God. God is a just God." And uh, <laughs> and so one time uh, we were out to lunch after church, and a very nice lady with a that, that did have a peculiar look about her um, came by and uh, greeted us at the table that we're eating, and our uh, one of our Children, I won't name who it is to embarrass them this morning. But um, looked up and said, "She's a witch." I mean, I was like, we were like what? this." And I remember Kelly's like, "No, no, buddy, she's a really nice lady. She's so sweet." And 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 he and, he, and um, Okay, now it's we know it's narrowed down to the boy, one of the two boys. <laughs> And it wasn't enough that he said it once, he said again, no, mommy, she's a witch. <laughs> and we were just like trying to crawl under the table, we were so embarrassed, and we felt bad for this sweet lady, and um, um, uh, we said, hey, son, I appreciate that, but you don't need to be so um, uh, observant, necessarily, and telling us everything that goes through your mind. You might want to have a little filter there next time. Um, So what does a a five-year-old know about a filter, though, right? So anyway, all that to say, learning what to say and what not to say is all part of the process of growing up, right? We had to say, hey, listen, that that may have been, she she may have looked that way, but you don't say that, okay? That's not appropriate, time, place, whatever. Uh, So that's just part of growing up, is we we all kind of said some dumb things when we were little, we still say some (laughs) dumb things from time to time. But uh, it's the same thing as we grow up in Christ, as we grow, as we mature as Christians. uh, We should gain more and more control of our tongues. Ideally, the longer we're Christians, the less we should sin with our mouths. Is that fair? The Bible calls this growing up process sanctification, Uh, how God makes us holy, set apart from sin, uh, how he conforms, transforms us, and conforms us into the image of Christ. And that is the ultimate goal of the sanctification process, is to be like Jesus. It's Christ-likeness. To think like Christ, act like Christ, and talk like Christ. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and I want to point something out to you that I find very interesting in the two main passages in Paul's epistles where he addresses the subject of sanctification, And how our sanctification is directly linked to our speech. Notice this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, where Paul is describing the sanctification process as a changing of our garments, a taking off, a putting off of an old garment and putting on something new. That's the analogy he liked to use to describe this transformation. In, in Ephesians 4, verse 20, he says, You did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught, taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, the way you used to be before you were saved, that you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so a very... Um, creative description of the sanctification process, what should be going on in all of our lives at any given time as Christians. But then notice the very next verse. Right on the heels of this description of sanctification, Paul says, verse 25, therefore, lay aside, what? Falsehood and, what? Speak truth each one of you with his neighbor for you are members of one another. He goes on in verse uh, 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as a word is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And here it is let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Those are sins that oftentimes are manifest through our mouths. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And then notice, he continues with this theme of our mouths, verse uh, 3 of chapter 5, keep reading there, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints, and there must be no filthiness and silly, what? talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And then jump down to verse 18. He talks about not getting drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, be filled with the Spirit. And there it is, verse 19. What's the first word? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God even the Father. So you see the connection between sanctification and our speech. It's the very first thing that comes to Paul's mind to illustrate what it looks like to be sanctified, to put off the way we used to live and put on the new way of living. So it starts with what? Your mouth, the way you talk. Jump over to Colossians, and he says essentially the same thing. Colossians chapter 3, these are sister letters. He wrote them at the same time while he was in prison And uh, he probably copied and pasted if he had a computer. He would have copied and pasted a little bit here in in writing these two different letters because they're very similar. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, again, talking about the sanctification process. He says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also... Put them all aside. Here it is, the putting off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and then put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised uncircum- Barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. And again, look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. Here it is, our mouths again, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So again, it's interesting that after talking about the sanctification process, Paul immediately launched into a lengthy discussion about speech. Why? Well, obviously, Paul believed that our speech is a major factor in the sanctification process. He assumed that as the Spirit of God transforms us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the natural result will be a transformation of our tongues. The Bible says when we become a Christian that we are a new creature. The old things pass away, new things come. In other words, we will stop doing the things we used to do and start doing the things that we should do. Our entire lives will begin to change. And one of the first and and most dramatic things that should change is the way we talk. Now, what we say will not always be perfect, but it will be different. From the way we used to speak, and it will definitely be different than the way non Christians speak. I remember years ago, uh, we had uh, someone get saved and, and join our church, and uh, they were helping around the church one day, and, and they were in my office helping out doing something, and uh, something didn't go right, and they they swore, and and I my back their back was turned to me, and so I just kind of chuckled <laughs> because I thought, this is a baby Christian, and the thought didn't even go through their mind that I just cussed in the pastor's office, right? <laughs> Where most people, that'll be the last place I would ever swear is in the pastor's office, right? <laughs> well, it, it didn't even cross their mind. That's just the way they, that's the pattern of their life before they came to Christ, and did I doubt that person? Not at all. I thought, that's a baby Christian. That's somebody who's come to Christ and they had a pattern of swearing before they came to Christ. And then guess what? That's going to go away. I guarantee you that will go away. That, that will, over time, that won't happen as often, if ever. And just so you know, I've been around that person uh, for all these years and I've never heard it again. And why? Because that's what sanctification does. That's what the Word of God and the Spirit of God do. It changes, it transforms our lives, and it changes the way we talk. And I think one of the quickest, one of the clearest ways to determine where a person is at in the sanctification process is just listen to them talk for a little bit. You can tell a whole lot about a person by just, just you stop talking and just listen to them go. Just let them go and see what they say. Why? Our tongues are an extremely accurate measure of our spiritual maturity. That's why James, in his list of tests to determine whether or not your faith is genuine, whether or not you're truly saved, in in, in the book of James, uh, he he included the tongue test to, to see if your tongue reveals that you're a Christian or not. Now, again, even though James wrote the premier passage on the importance of damning the tongue, he he never really told us how to do it. I don't know if you walked away last week going, okay, that's great, but uh, I need some help. He he never really told us. In fact, he told us that we couldn't do it. And we talked about the tongue being like the Tasmanian devil. For those of us who are old enough to remember the Looney Tunes cartoons, right? The little little, uh, Tasmanian devil just tearing things up all over the place, and that tends to be our tongue. Now, I don't think James intended us to get done reading that passage and go, well, I guess this is just something I'm going to have to learn to live with. I'm always going to keep messing up with my tongue. No, I think he expected us to cry out for help to the only one who can tame our tongues. And God is the master tongue tamer. Like a lion tamer who uses a whip and a chair, we've seen that in the old old circus model, to subdue the power of this mighty lion. Well, so God uses his word and his spirit to subdue the power of our mighty tongues. And God's word contains many principles that if we apply in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will, by God's grace, be able to tame our Tasmanian tongues. And so I just want to provide some, some practical suggestions, if you will, today, and they're not even suggestions, they're, they're commands, as we'll see, uh, from the scriptures drawn from the, same, uh, from the main biblical instructions regarding the tongue. There's, there's just so much in the Bible about what to say and what not to say, I just thought it'd be appropriate to take just another week to, to talk about the tongue. Now, again, the Bible's teaching on the tongue falls into two basic categories. There's the do's and the don'ts, um, which are both equally important. You need to know what to say, and you also need to know what not to say. Um, it's, there's always the pros and the cons. There's the things you need to work on, right? Right? The things that you need to do and then the things that you need to not do. It's called sins of, a, sins of uh, a commission. Those are the things that we do that we know we shouldn't do. And the sins of omission are the things that we don't do that we know we should do, right? So there's always this do's and don'ts. And I, I was reflecting on our kids when they were little, and um, this was when we just had Zach and Hannah. And I remember one morning, uh, I think Zach was five and Hannah was three, and so one of the things I would ask the kids in the morning, we'd have breakfast and we'd have a little family devotion time, and I'd say, okay, what, what do you guys need to work on today? Well, what are you going to work on today? And uh, so I'll never forget one morning, I asked the kids, and there's Zach and Hannah, five and three, and I asked Zach, Zach, what are you going to work on today, buddy? And he said, obey, be kind, and be a servant. I'm like, that's good, buddy. That's, those are good things to work on. And I said, now, Hannah, what are you going to work on this morning? And Hannah responded, don't scratch, don't bite, and don't spit. <laughs> so just told you a little about where our kids were at, and uh, there's a reason why she got nicknamed Hurricane Hannah. Those were the things she needed to focus on, uh, was not scratching and biting and spitting at people. Um, but it was, hey, one of them was working on things they needed to do, others were working on things they, they, didn't, they shouldn't do, right? And that's the, that's the balance here. This morning, so we're going to talk about first of all the negative commands in Scripture, the things that we're not supposed to do with our tongue, and then we'll look at the positive commands, the things that we are supposed to do with our tongue. So let's look first of all at the negative commands. And again, this is not a complete list by any means, but hopefully it's 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 hitting the most important ones. Okay. And again, you're not going to hear anything this morning that you haven't heard already, but hopefully this will be a, a way to be stirred up by a way of reminder. Of, of all that the scripture says on this subject of the tongue. And I can't think of a better place to begin than the principle, don't lie. Don't lie. Okay, What does it mean to lie? It means to not tell the truth, to be deceptive, to maybe stretch the truth, to exaggerate. I think that falls under the category uh, of lying. We already read Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, uh, about not lying. But let's go back to the book of Proverbs. And again, these verses are all listed here for you on, on the, the, the sermon outline. And if you want to try to look them up with me and keep up, please feel free to do that. But don't get overwhelmed, they're all there. And uh, maybe just take some notes as we go through these together. But notice Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates and seven which are an abomination to him. So that should get our attention right away. Okay, we're about to get a list of things that God hates that are actually an abomination to him. What are they? Well, notice, leading off here, haughty eyes and a what? Lying tongue. God hates lies. He goes on in verse 19. He also hates a false witness who utters lies. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 5. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Verse 9. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, go all the way to the end of the Bible Revelation chapter 21, interesting way to end the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says this, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters, that's a pretty bad list so far, and notice the last one, and all what? Liars, will, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And that wasn't the only time he said that. Look at verse uh, chapter 22, verse 15, outside, talking about hell, outside are the dogs, those are outside of heaven, okay, uh, the, 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 um, the eternal city. Uh, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. That's key, by the way, because you're like, oh, I've lied. I've lied before. Does that mean I'm going to hell? Well, I think this clarifies that everyone who loves and what? Practices lying. I guarantee you all of us could admit that we've lied at one point or another in our lives. But this is talking about those who have a pattern of lying. They're habitual liars. They just lie all the time. They're, they're, they're living in deception. And what is the outcome of someone who uh, is, uh, li- is an habitual liar? Well, it, it de- evidence is that they're not saved. They're not truly born again, and so they end up in hell. And so from time to time, I'll say tongue-in-cheek to people, hey, you know where liars go, don't you? It's based on these verses. Um, And so this is very serious. Lying is a very, very serious sin that God hates and punishes with hell. Number two, don't gossip. Don't gossip. What is gossip? Well, it's passing on evil reports um, and listening to evil reports. How's that? You say, well, I didn't say it. I just heard it. Well, you should have not heard it. You should have said, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it, right? Right? Um, you're just as guilty when you listen to gossip as as those who pass on gossip. Um, And sometimes we spiritualize these things. Hey, I got a prayer request. We really need to pray for so-and-so. And And it's it's just an excuse to gossip. What does the Bible say about this? Well, Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18, verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Someone in our grow group this last week had a great analogy that when we think about dainty morsels, that little piece of chocolate that I just got to have, a, I just got to taste, I just got to have one, and it's like you have this little juicy nugget about somebody or some situation, and you just got to share it. You just can't help yourself. You just got to share it. That's the idea there. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 9, he who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. The point is, what you're sharing may be true, but is it necessary? Is it necessary? And by you repeating the matter, you're separating intimate friends. You're causing conflict in relationships. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. If you know someone as a Temptation or given, given to gossip, maybe you need to find another friend. Because the Bible says that you become like the people you hang around. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. If you hang around an angry person, you're going to have a tendency to become angry. You hang around somebody who, who uh, you know, is immoral, you're going to have a tendency to be immoral. If you hang around somebody who gossips, you're going to have a tendency to give in to, to gossip. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. 26, verse 20 says this, for lack of wood, the fire goes out where there is no whisperer, contention dies down. We looked at that the other day, um, or last Sunday, I should say, is, hey, just, just uh, okay, so this situation may be happening, and it may be even true, And but don't keep adding wood to it. Just don't keep talking about it, because you just keep adding your log to the fire, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, and he ends up making a mountain out of a molehill, a bonfire out of a spark. First Timothy chapter five verse thirteen, Paul warned Timothy to help those women who became widows early on in life. Maybe were, their husband died when they were younger. Uh, 1 Timothy 5.13, at the same time, they will also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. And so don't gossip. Don't gossip. Even if you think it's true, um, or know it to be true, is it really necessary for you to share that? What is your motive? Why are you sharing that? Is that helping? Is that... Solving the problem, or is that making it worse? And then right on the heels of don't gossip is don't slander. And slander is, I think, a step up from gossip. It's making false accusations against someone to deliberately damage and diminish their reputation. It's sharing negative information about a person. Again, even if it may be true, um, you're sharing it to make that person look bad, to undermine that person's reputation. Psalm 101, Psalm 101 verse five: "Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure." Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 18: "He who conceals hatred has lying lips, and he who spreads slander is a fool. Right there in Proverbs 11, Proverbs 11 verse 11, by the blessing of the upright a city is exalted but by the mouth of the wicked it is torn down. You can tear down a whole city, whole family, whole marriage, whole church with your mouth. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Where there is no guidance the people fall, but in abundance of counselors there is victory. And then look at um, Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. When you slander someone, you you can destroy friendships, relationships. I think it's also important to note that both gossip and slander are included in two of the worst sinless in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 1, when Paul was talking about the wickedness of mankind, when God gives them over to their depravity, and it says they're filled with all unrighteousness. This is Romans 1.29, Wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, and on and on it goes. These are not just small sins, incidental sins. These are these are up there in the category of the biggies, if you will. Second Timothy chapter three, uh, verses one through three, uh, includes gossip in the in malicious slanders in the same list there as well. So don't lie, don't gossip, don't slander, and how about this? Don't flatter. Don't flatter. You say, well, what, what's, the well what's the difference? What's the difference? What's wrong with flattery? What's the difference between flattery and gossip and slander? Well, the way I heard it. Said one time, and I've never forgot it. Is that gossip and slander are saying something behind a person's back that you would never say to their face. That's gossip and slander. And flattery is saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back. You're just saying it for them to hear you say it, but it's not really how you. It's not really what you think or believe. You would never say that about them to someone else. The the point is, it involves evil motives. Psalm 5, verse 9, Psalm 5, verse 9 says this, there is nothing reliable in what they say, their inward part is an open, uh, is destruction itself, their throat is an open grave, they flatter with their tongue. Um, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16, Proverbs chapter 2 Verse 16 says, to deliver you from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. And so the dad is saying to the son, hey, watch out for that woman that comes up to you, son, and starts to flatter you. She's seducing you. And so be careful. Um, Proverbs 26, verse 28. Proverbs 26, verse 28. A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works Ruin. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. So be careful. We need to be careful that we don't just say things to people uh, ultimately to make ourselves look good so that they like us, right? And then as soon as we get out of their presence, we say all sorts of bad things about them. That's hypocrisy. It's deception. Obviously, we shouldn't swear. That's another thing we shouldn't do. Don't swear. Don't say dirty words. We already saw that in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 3. There should be no coarse jesting, um, uh, Paul says. Uh, no, no impurity, double entendre, double meaning jokes. Um, uh, no filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse jesting. Uh, these are, unf- these are uh, uh, unfitting for a Christian someone who claims to know and love Jesus Christ. And, of course, we're not supposed to use the Lord's name in vain. That's, I think, included under this category of not swearing. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, uh, the the third commandment says, Thou shalt not use the Lord's name in vain. And how many times have we heard, uh, you know, in our hearing, uh, Oh, my God, um, Jesus Christ, jeez, oh, my gosh. You know, these are this is common. I mean, this is, uh, I remember when we used to watch the the uh, Extreme Makeover show uh, before everyone else outdid Extreme Makeover uh, with Fixer Upper and everything else. But the Extreme Makeover was like the original reality show about that. But it seemed like anytime somebody showed up at their new house, the first thing that came out of their mouth was, oh my God. That's just what they would say. And it's just a very worldly way to talk. And I think we need to be careful that we don't use... Uh, kind of Christianize, oh geez, or oh my gosh, or well, what are you doing? You're just softening a little bit. Uh, the point is that we need to revere and honor the Lord's name and not use it in any other way but to honor him. Don't criticize. Don't criticize. In other words, don't always find fault with everything and everyone. Don't, don't be constantly nitpicking. Um, Just just having a critical tongue. Um, Some people feel like they have the gift of criticism. You know, that's their spiritual gift. And they're walking around and criticizing everyone and everything in the church. And um, it's like, seriously? I mean, is that really helpful? James 4.11, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law. Um, James five nine do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. And of course, Jesus said it best uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Do you really want other people to be as critical of you as you are of them? So if you want want people to be gracious to you in their... Opinion of you and their perspective of you and and the way they talk with you and interact with you. Will you be gracious with them and about them? Why do you why do you try to take the the log or the speck out of your brother's eye when you got a what a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So don't criticize. Um, Don't brag. We all have a sinful tendency to talk about ourselves, to exalt ourselves, to focus on ourselves. We want others to think highly of us, and so we, we tend to, to brag and to boast. I love what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Those are the things we brag about, how smart we are, how many degrees we have, right? how, how strong we are, what we're able to accomplish, how, how, how much money we have, how many things we have. No, he says, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. It's what Paul said that I will not boast in anything. I won't brag about anything except for what the cross of Jesus Christ. Because I am what I am, only because of the grace of God in me. First um, John chapter two. 1 John chapter two, verse sixteen. First John chapter two. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Well, I know, we've all been around that guy or that gal where it's just the whole conversation is all about them. And you walk away, you can't get away from them fast enough because they could care less about you, right? It's, all they care about is themselves because the whole time you, you had a 10-minute had a conversation and... Nine minutes and 59 seconds was all about them and one second about you. They, they might have walked up, hey, how you doing? This is classic, right? Hey, how's it going? And boom, they're off talking about themselves. They don't really care how you're doing. They, they just found somebody that could listen to them, talk about themselves. Don't, don't be that person. Don't, don't be bra- braggadocious, if you will. James 4.16. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Evil. How about this? Don't joke. Now we have to qualify this. It's okay to joke around. I I enjoy listening to uh, jokes, funny jokes, and comedians. You know, clean comedians, and I I enjoy that. Sometimes Jacob and I will drive down the road listening to some the PG comedy on uh, Pandora. You know, just cracking up on the way down the road to school and laughing at some of these jokes. And so I think it's important we qualify. What we're talking about, don't joke, the context of not joking in Scripture is making fun of people. In other words, getting a laugh at someone else's expense, being sarcastic, obviously telling off-color jokes, sexual innuendos, where he read that in Ephesians chapter 5. But Proverbs chapter 26, we read this last week. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 18, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, oh, I, I, I was just joking. Um, and hey, we live, we live in Texas, man. This is the, 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 the state to, to trash talk, right? We love Texas trash talking. And we like putting each other down and saying all this kind of stuff. And again, for some, it's just good, clean fun, and nothing's meant by it, and everybody knows it, and it's just fun, and, and nobody's hurt by it. But you got to be really careful, right? You might be saying some stuff and joking about somebody, or and 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 everybody thinks that it's innocent, but that it's really hurting that person. Oh, we were just joking. We were just joking. Yeah, but they go home and they think about it, right? So be careful. Don't joke. How about this? Don't complain. Or how about we say grumble? Don't grumble and complain. What, what is complaining? Well, according to the little post, uh, the little uh, index card on, on our refrigerator when I was growing up, complaining is an insult to God. If, if, if any complaint ever came out of our mouth, my mom would march us over to the refrigerator and she'd make us read that out loud. Complaining is an insult to God. Why? Because you're you're expressing dissatisfaction with God's plans and provision for your life. And of course, the classic example is Israel in the wilderness, um, grumbling and complaining about, "Oh great, we're out here, and you know, we got nothing to eat." And, and so God gave them bread, and all we got is bread. Now, okay, here's some meat. Oh man, I'm sick and tired of this meat. I just you know ate too much of it, and it's, they were just never happy, constantly grumbling and complaining. And so what happened? They end up spending 40 years in the wilderness until they all died off. And First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10 says, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. I love Philippians 2.14. It says it so well, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So don't complain. Don't grumble. And then finally, don't argue. Don't talk back. Don't argue. Don't, um, don't, don't protest. Don't don't fight. Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer. What? Turns away wrath. Proverbs 264. Uh, Proverbs 26:4: "Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him." And of course, we mentioned this several weeks ago about when we're, our good is evil spoken of. Uh, When we're wrongly or falsely accused, slandered, um, Isaiah 53 verse seven gives us an example. In Christ, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. Talking about Christ. That while being reviled, he never reviled in return, but he, he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. So that's what the Bible says not to do. But it also tells us what we're supposed to do. And if you find your tongue stumbling in these sins that we've mentioned here, again, not a complete list, but maybe the major areas that we tend to uh, give into with our tongues, I want to encourage you to put into practice the following principles that will keep you from stumbling so often in what you say. And these are just positive commands that we need to always be reminding ourselves of um, and, and maybe even some verses here that you might pick out after this morning's message to say, you know what, that's, that's the verse, man. Just, that nails me. I need to remember that verse, and maybe that's a verse or a passage you're going to put to memory this week and use it to fight uh, whenever you have that temptation and you feel the, the words coming and they're wanting to come out and you want to say something that you know is going to be displeasing to uh, you know, not pleasing to the Lord, maybe you could quote this verse instead. So the first thing is this, never underestimate the power of the tongue. Well, that was basically last week's message, James chapter 3, Proverbs eighteen twenty one. that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So just remember that, never underestimate the power of your words to help a situation, to improve a situation, and also to mess up a situation and destroy people's lives. Number two, make your speech a matter of daily prayer. Listen, if you, if you know you have a, a tendency to sin with your mouth, I mean, this should be like on your top, top of your prayer list and, and pray every morning. Things like Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verse 14. Again, a familiar verse, but you need to just memorize this prayer Psalm 19.14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a great prayer. Wake up in the morning. Let the words of my mouth be acceptable to you today, Lord. What a great prayer. How about Psalm 141, verse 3? This is a practical thing to include in your prayer times in the morning. Psalm one forty one. Verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a really good thing to pray, isn't it? Or would you just set a guard over my mouth? So make your speech a matter of daily prayer. Thirdly, study and meditate on the Bible's teaching regarding the tongue. Study and meditate on the Bible's teaching regarding the tongue. If you ever have a, a, a sin issue in your life, a, a besetting sin that you want to overcome, that you want to make some progress in, well, the way that if you're going to grow, if you're going to change, if you're going to sin less in that area, it's going to happen by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And so you've got to get into the Word and say, what does the Bible say about that particular sin? And, 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 and look at the pros and the cons. Look at the put off. Look at the put on. And so you study and meditate on the Bible's teaching regarding the tongue. And so if this is an area that, that again, you, you continually are blowing it with your mouth, you're, you're getting in trouble with what you say, then study the book of Proverbs. You, you notice much of the verses that I've quoted this morning, I've read, are from the book of Proverbs. You, you, could, you could do a whole study from the book of Proverbs you could call wisdom about words or wise words, because the Proverbs talk a lot about the kinds of things we should say and the kinds of things we shouldn't say. So that'd be a good place to start. He's like, where do I start? Start in the book of Proverbs. And then fourthly, you need to guard your heart. You need to guard your heart. And again, Proverbs says this very specifically in chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Interesting, the connection that, the, that Solomon makes here with putting a, a, a guard over your heart or watching your heart and then put away a deceitful mouth. Guess what? What's going on in your heart, it, 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 or I should say what's, what's coming out of your mouth is directly connected to what's going on in your heart. And we saw that last week, Matthew chapter 12, that says that your mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. So your tongue is a tattletale of your heart and you can tell what's going on in a person's heart by just listening to them to them talk. And if there's, if there's impurity there, if there's immorality in the guy's heart or the, the gal's heart, it's going to come out through there. They're going to be telling dirty jokes, right? If there's pride in their heart, guess what? It's going to be coming out bragging and, 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 and boasting about things. Um, whatever's in your heart is going to come out your mouth. So you need to guard your heart and work on dealing with the idols of The heart. What are those things that, that are motivating you, that are driving you, the things that you desire that, that are going to sneak out of your mouth uh, at some point? And, of course, we need to guard our tongue. We need to guard our tongue. Uh, we already saw a prayer there in Psalm 141 to, that God would guard our tongue. But Psalm 39, verse 1, says this. Psalm 39 Verse 1, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. (laughs) That's, as somebody said last week, man, I just need to get some duct tape. Because I just like, it seems like I'm always saying just just put some duct tape across there, right? And uh, hey, you know, that may be a very tangible way (laughs) to remember, hey, I got to be careful what I say. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 3. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 21, verse 23, He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. And then we could also say, be a person of few words. Be a person of few words. We we quoted this last week in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. In other words, the more you talk, the more likely it is you're going to sin. And so some of us tend to be more talkative than others, and if you are that talkative type personality, just know you've got to be careful because you're going to be more likely to sin than the person that doesn't talk so much. And it's not like it's more spiritual to walk around and be like a monk and never say anything. You know, oh, they're really spiritual. That person talks too much. They're, they're not spiritual. No, you can have a talkative, bubbly personality, but you, you just have to work extra hard, right? Because the more you talk, the more likely it is you're going to say something you're going to regret. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter three, also the wisdom of Solomon here. After Proverbs, you have Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7, a time, there's a time to tear apart, a time to sow, a time to be silent, and a time to speak. We need to learn, right, the appropriate time and place. I like what he says in chapter 5, verse 2, when you go before the Lord, let your words be what? Few. Let your words be Few. James 1.19, be quick to hear and what? Slow to speak. So be a person of few words. That when somebody asks a question to a group of people, don't be the person that jumps right in and says, I'll, I'll answer that. Like you always gotta be the one that says things first. Why not, why not learn to hang back and let somebody else answer a question for, for a change? And you might learn something. How about this? Say things that build, rather, build up rather than tear down. Say things that build up rather than tear down. And again, we already looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no unwholesome or putrid, rotten word come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And so in other words, we need to learn to speak graciously and only say those things that will build others up and not tear others down. We, We taught our kids not to say the word shut up, well, that was a, an expression that was not allowed in our house because it's just it's, it's, it's harsh, it's, it's rude to say, shut up. But I'm going to break the rule this morning and say, if it doesn't build up, then shut up. It's an easy way to remember. If it doesn't build up, then shut up. Colossians 4, verse 6 says this, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. We need to develop the ability to say the right thing to the right person at the right time in the right way. Yeah, there's a lot to learn when it comes to our speech, because sometimes we said the right thing, but it was to the wrong person, or we said it to the right person, but we said the wrong thing, or it wasn't the right time, or it wasn't in the right way. Tone of voice oftentimes, right? What do they say? Timing and tone oftentimes determine how a conversation goes. Speak the truth in love. The scripture talks about this. Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15. Lay aside falsehood. speak truth. I think we just need to learn to do that. What does it say in Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6? Um, let me read that. I was going to just quote it, but I don't think I know the whole thing here off the top of my head. Proverbs chapter 27, Verses 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes we have to wound one another. But that's what friends do, right? And sometimes you might have to have a conversation that goes like this. Hey, do you consider me a friend? Yeah, well, I consider you a friend too. And the Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I need to wound you real quick. And I know this is, gonna, this is, gonna, this is not going to be fun, it's going to be fun for you, it's not fun for me, but, but i got to wound you real quick. But you know I love you, right? Because I'm speaking the truth in love. And if I really love you, I'm going to say this to you, and um, we need to learn to speak the truth in love. How about this? Harness the positive power of your tongue. Harness the positive power of your tongue. Proverbs 16, verse 24, pleasant words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 25, verse 11, has a whole list here of, of ways that our tongues can be used for good. Proverbs 25, verse 11, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstance. Man, you just, that was exactly what I needed to hear. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the coldest snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him for he refreshes the soul of his masters like clouds and wind without rain is the man who boasts of his gifts falsely. By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. Sometimes you're like, you know, I'm gonna, man, I'm gonna lay in a, and you just kind of get, and, and what do you get? You get pushback. But sometimes it's just the, the soft, gentle, word that just crushes someone and that's effective more effective than yelling at them right it's just talking to them calmly and gently so the mouth can be used we're talking all about how the mouth is such a bad thing well guess what the mouth god gave us our mouths for a lot of wonderful things like what i'm doing right now is preaching his word counseling teaching sharing the gospel. We didn't have a mouth; we couldn't share the gospel, the good news of salvation. We, we've used our mouths to worship and to sing. And we, we, we can use it to admonish and to pray, and to comfort. And so, these are all positive things. These are we need to harness the positive power of our tongue. Use our tongues for good things and learn to practice doing these things. And if it might be simple, something as simple as hey, learn to say things like. Thank you. Just get in the habit of saying thank you, or please, or I forgive you, or I love you. Some of your wives might freak out this afternoon if some of your husbands said, Hey, I just want you to know I love you. That that would mean the world to your wife. And you're harnessing the powerful, or the, the, the power of your tongue there, the positive power of your tongue. Or just a little bit of an encouragement to your kids that maybe you have a tendency to always catch them when they're doing something wrong and you need to learn to catch them when they're doing something right and give them a little encouragement, All right? That just little word of encouragement, man, makes a huge difference. It, it kind of blows some wind back into their sails after you kind of have been exasperating them and it takes the wind out of their sails and they're discouraged, they can never do anything right and you encourage them and it kind of puffs some wind into their sails and they keep moving down the road. How about this? Be aware that what comes out of your mouths plays a key role in your testimony as a Christian. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but in speech, first thing he says, in conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of a believer. Titus chapter 2, talking about, uh, Paul was describing how young men should act in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, I urge young men in all things to show themselves to be an example with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, the context of Paul's command not to do or to do everything without grumbling and complaining, do all things without grumbling or disputing or arguing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You You could be an amazing witness for Jesus Christ at work, at school, in your home, if you're living with unbelievers, if you just stop complaining. That you just made a commitment, I am not going to grumble about anything. And and listen, if you're at work and there's lots of things you can complain about, you can complain about the boss, you can complain about the facility, you can complain about the directing, all sorts of things that employees grumble and complain about, but you make a commitment: I am not going to grumble and complain. You are going to stick out like a bright light in the midst of the whole rest of the company who's, what are they doing all the time? Grumbling and complaining. What What a simple way to be a witness for Christ. Just stop. Complaining, stop grumbling. And then, real quickly, just a couple more. Whenever you sin with your tongue, which is going to be today, not to discourage you all, but right, we're going to probably sin with our tongues today. When you sin with your tongue, confess it to God and ask him to cleanse your lips. First John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love the example of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. When he confessed his sin, he said this, "Um, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of what? Unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, and he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Listen, embrace God's forgiveness, okay? When you mess up with your mouth, confess it. Confess. Admit it. Agree with God that what you said was wrong and ask him to cleanse your tongue and take away your sin and forgive your sin. And he will. Think about Peter who denied the Lord three times with his mouth. I'm sure he wanted to take that back. You can't unsay those things, right? And yet the Lord forgave him. He he confessed it, and the Lord forgave him. And then finally, always remember that you will be judged someday by your words. You'll be judged someday by your words. Words. And again, this is a a passage we need to make sure we don't misinterpret. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Bottom line is, you know whether or not a person is saved by what comes out of their mouth. And so, from one perspective, where we spend eternity, either heaven or hell, will be determined by what comes out of our mouth, which is logically connected to what's in our heart. And is there true regeneration? Is there, or have we been truly born again? That's the point, is our words are a dead giveaway where we are in our relationship with God, whether we re- truly know Christ or not. And I think that's what it means, by your words you will be justified and your words you will be condemned. It's the best test. It's the simplest test to know whether or not a person is truly saved. One other passage I'll just read, don't don't turn there, but Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4, an obscure text that I'm not sure I've thought enough about, but Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 says this, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So he says, the Lord has given me the tongue of a disciple so that I would know what to say. How did I get that? Well, it's because he wakes me up every morning And he gives me an ear to listen as a disciple. So, you want to learn to talk like a disciple of Jesus Christ. You need to wake up and listen to Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this, but this is like, once again, how's your quiet time going? (laughs) How's your time in the Word? And it may be the reason why you're struggling so much with what's coming out of your mouth is because you're not spending time with Jesus. And Warren Wiersbe has a great point in his commentary on James chapter 3. He said this, quote, The tongue is like a tree. The most important thing about a tree is the root system. If the roots do not go deep down, the tree will not grow in a healthy manner. If we are rooted in the things of the Lord, then our words will be the fruit of our fellowship with Him. One reason our Lord was able to say the right words at the right times was because he communed with his Father and heard from heaven each day. Listen to his testimony. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Prayed. Wiersbe goes on, he says, if you and I are going to have tongues that delight, then we must meet with the Lord each day and learn from him. We must get our spiritual roots deep into his word. We must pray and meditate and permit the spirit of God to fill our hearts with God's love and God's truth. And when God's love and God's truth fill our hearts, then God's love and God's truth will flow out of our mouths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for blessing us with the ability to speak, and Lord, there is so much good that you intend to come from our mouths, the the love that we can express, the tender care, Lord, that we can give to one another, the comfort, the encouragement, even the the loving confrontation, Lord, the, the sharing of the gospel, the good news of salvation. Lord, we can worship you. We can pray. We can preach. We can teach, Lord, all these things. We can build, up other, build others up. Lord, that's what we want, Lord, for, for our tongues because we know that's what you want for our tongues. That's why you created us with tongues. But Lord, we confess that we fall very short um, and oftentimes use this, this um Awesome power for evil, not for good. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us for that, and uh, just help us as we continue to strive to, to to speak in ways that are pleasing to you and to build one another up. Build one another up, Lord. That we would uh, would always just take us back to you and your Word and spending time with you in prayer and um, having you rub off on us, if it will as it were, Lord. That we would learn to be more like you. And so I pray we'd all be encouraged today to go home and. Get in your word more and pray more and uh, trust that you're going to transform our tongues and uh, make them more like Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.